I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I know what I signed up for. I know this year was going to be a weird year because I was going to answer this question every single time. And I've said this to Kevin. I've said this when I first started my career. My only option right now to make a career out of this is to be good. That's it. I didn't play quarterback. I didn't play for the Dallas Cowboys. I didn't. I don't have a gold jacket on. I didn't play in a. I didn't play in New York City. I, right. I, I. The only way I can do this is if I'm good. And. Whether that's good enough in the long run, I don't know. But that's all I can control. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, one NFL team. I really enjoyed this conversation. It is Fox NFL play-by-play announcer Kevin Burkhart and analyst Greg Olson. They are, of course, calling the Niners-Eagles NFC Championship game this Sunday on Fox. They also have the call of the Super Bowl on February 12th. We had about a 45-minute conversation on so many topics, just about how they view success, what they're trying to do with their broadcast. Obviously, we got into... Uh, Tom Brady and uh, and him sort of sitting in the shadows for that number one analyst position at Fox. Uh, It was a great 45 minutes, really, really interesting, and uh, and I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, Certainly you will if you're an NFL fan, but if you're a broadcasting fan, you really, really will. All right, so without further ado, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, uh, very excited to have these Two men on, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, are the lead broadcast team for Fox's NFL coverage. I feel like even like to introduce them for this podcast, if I have to do that, is silly, but I might as well give them the formal introduction. They'll be joined by Aaron Andrews and Tom Rinaldi for the call of Niners-Eagles, that NFC Championship game this Sunday, and then also they will do the Super Bowl on February 12th. Kevin Burkhart's been on this podcast uh, a number of times before, including um, my Sports Illustrated one. I have actually never... Had a podcast with Greg Olson, so I, I feel like this is a this is a good moment to uh, to finally uh, to get him on here. And Kevin, Greg, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Great Appreciate to be it. back, but I feel like Greg should do all the talking. I mean, he's for, he's at least I'm I'm I'm, I'm a longtime Dice veteran. He's got a, it's all on you, Olson. Hey, hey I'm Kevin, I'm here. About- I'm ready. I'm ready to perform. I'm I'm curious what I'm curious what questions you have for us. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Kevin, we can talk about the 2006 Mets. We'll just make it like a specific podcast to that. That's like a, that's an offshoot to this one, which we <laughs> can do anytime you want. All right. Um, let me. I'm going to start with you, Kevin. Uh, Greg, please follow. This is a very open-ended question. Um, how do you judge success with your broadcast? That's a really good question. I mean, you know, success to me, like it, it obviously in a business that we're in, when everybody has a different opinion about everything. Um, and I think it's one of those things where you could go back. I think, I think you go back and and watch broadcasts, and you can nitpick everything. Wish I did this differently. Wish I did that differently. I think to me, success is: did we do the game justice, and did we cover the big moments well, and did we not, you know, ruin the big moments by I don't know saying something stupid or talking over the biggest things? I mean, I think 
I think that's what it comes down to. You know, I mean, you want to have, you're spending so much time with people in their homes and so many people at the same time, you want to have it where they feel like they're with you in the booth or really at a bar having a cocktail and, and, and just shooting the breeze. And so, you know, it's a feeling. I mean, you, you, you know, you kind of know, like we get out of the booth and, you know, we, we feel a certain way after game. How did it go? How do we feel like, but it's obviously so subjective. I mean, I, I feel like, did we do the game justice? Because we have a certain style of doing the game. People are going to love it or hate it no matter what we do. So it, it's just about like big picture. Um, do we, do we give the game the proper respect? I think. What about you, Greg? Yeah, I, I agree with Kevin. You know, I, I think it's hard. It's one of those things like, you know, it when you see it, it's hard to s- describe. It's hard to really like quantify. But as Kevin said, you walk out of the booth, you know, if it went well, you know, if you handled the moments, right. You know, if you, you know, got your info, right. Got the situation, right. You know, got in, got out. It, you, you know, when a game runs smooth, you know, when a broadcast feels good. And you also, we've had our, you know, a couple over the years now, the last two years where you walk out and you're like, it just, the game never really got into a flow. We felt disjointed. Maybe there, you know, and you, so you know it. And I think it's one of those things. And and Kevin hit on it. I think our goal all along was to do our broadcast is not try to do somebody else's, not try to call the game. Like, like some of the other guys who, again, no, no discredit, no discount to how good a lot of these guys are, but like Kevin and I have gotten into a, into a feel where, you know, we know how each other see the game. We know what interests us. And we know that maybe watching our game is a little bit of a different perspective and a little bit of a different insight than maybe some of the other crews. And I think for the most part, people enjoy it. I know some people don't, but as Kevin said, you're never going to get a hundred percent feedback in the positive, right? There's always going to be people on both sides. So as long as we're true to ourselves, true to how we feel good about it, how we feel the game should be called. And then I think Kevin's best point is, you know, don't make the game about us. Don't take away from the the beauty of the game. Don't take away from the big moments, the major moments by thinking we need to always insert ourselves and insert our words. Sometimes the pictures do it the best service and the best things we say is, is, is nothing at all. And I think I've tried to learn that element of the games, especially as we've called bigger, more marquee games. And, um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know it when you see it, it's one of those things it's hard to define, but, um, we walk out of the booth certain days and you, and you feel like you did it and certain days, Maybe you didn't. I've asked Kevin this question, Greg, so I'm going to ask you this. Um, on this podcast, uh, I'm like really interested in process and preparation. I just think that's a really interesting part of broadcasting. So I've had a lot of um, broadcasters on in multiple sports um, discuss their preparation. I'm also somebody who really likes announcer boards, even though I've never done play-by-play. I just think that's interesting as a you know, something conceptual. So for you, and please go as specific as you want, if we're on a Monday— and you have a game on Sunday. What is your preparation schedule? Yeah, I think it's a good question. So so typically the schedule that I've kind of fallen into that I've felt has served me pretty well, you know, again, just in now a couple of years is Monday, I pretty much just recap all the stuff from the previous day, you know, close out some of my files that I've had open, some of my game board stuff, um, make sure I've saved all my, you know, my notes, anything that I have up open on my computer, any of those files that I've been working on all week, put them away, put them in a folder make sure I know where they are if I have to come back to those teams at a later day. But as far as Mondays go, I don't really move on to the next teams. I kind of go back to my playing days where like one day of the week is just a like just decompress, step away from it and um, and just kind of have a day to yourself to do whatever. 
And then typically Tuesday, my routine is I get, I get into the team that I know the least. So if it's a AFC team, for example, I know pretty much all of Tuesday and maybe a little bit of Wednesday, I'm going to focus on that team. You know, we had Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago against towards the end of the year in uh, against Dallas. And by that point, we had called Dallas a million times, right? I didn't need to really put in a lot of prep on the front end of the week. So I knew I really had to dive deep into the personnel, the storylines, the coaches, Doug Peterson, and just make sure I really understood. So on games like that, the team I don't know the that I know the least will get the earliest attention and make sure I go in. I'll you know read their clips. They send us unbelievable research and stats. And even though I'm not a huge stat guy, I do believe the stats kind of paint context. They they capture storylines, trends, different things. As I start trying to put together like big picture storyboard stuff that I can bring to our production meetings on Saturday to talk through with Kevin and the crew. A lot of the stats, even though I don't reference them, kind of build some of those storylines. And then um, and then I'll move to the second team, you know, and, and again, that's watching the tapes, that's you know, watching their game film. I have access to the all 22, and I can watch the game just like I did when I was a player. And the whole time I have my notes up, I have different files for each team, and then I have a different document that's just like general thoughts and different um, you know, storylines that I keep track of all all week and can kind of copy and paste information into it as I build it out. And then, uh, and then I have my last sheet, which is like production ideas. Like as things come to my mind and I know we're this week, we're going to talk to Kyle Shanahan. We're going to talk to, you know, whoever it is, you know, start things that pop into my head that I'm curious that could fill in again, fill in and give some context and color to some of these big picture items. Okay. Start keeping track of them as the week goes on. So that process has served me well. Um, start with the team that I know the least, then move on to the second team, build out my boards, build out my game, you know, where depth charts and injuries and who's in, who's out and make sure I understand. And I watch the games twice. I watch the game the first time strictly to know what the numbers are. What's the number of the running back, the right guard, the left defensive end, the nickel corner. Just when I see them, do I have a general idea of who they are? If I don't, I got to spend some more time with the roster, spend some more time with who these guys are. Then after I've gotten through all my initial prep, I'll go back towards the end of the week, probably Friday, Saturday morning, watch the games from the previous week again. And now you're like really fine tuning different trends, different players, formation groups, personnel groupings, and do a little bit of a deeper dive because now the personnel aspect of the game is a little more comfortable and a little more um, kind of off the top of your head. And the games that I feel that I've prepared the best for are the games that once the ball's kicked off, I haven't even really looked at my game boards. There's often times where I'll look down and like, I'll have, you know, this past week, I'll have Dallas's offense up and San Francisco's defense board and San Francisco has the ball. And you're, you know what I mean? And that's how I know, like, I'm good. I don't have to constantly look down at it. I'm not studying the board. You just talk about what you see. And it's no different than when you're a player, you have your best games when you go into the game and you're free, you don't have to study sheets. You don't have to be a robot off a piece of paper, just talk ball, talk what you see. And, um, that's pretty much how I try to approach it. That's a, that's really interesting. I, I, I appreciate that description. Um, Kevin, I have had a number of people on this podcast, many people who've called Super Bowls, and they've what they've said to do, or at least sort of how they've approached it, at least on the first one, is to, you know, you do the best you can to sort of call the game that's in front of you and not try to think about your calling a Super Bowl and how many people are watching, et cetera. Um, the advantage for you is that you have two people in key production roles, Richie Zients and Rich Russo, who have done this many, many times. So their Super Bowls for them are not, they're both really excellent at what they do. And Super Bowls for them will not be a surprise. 
you've obviously called very, very big events. And obviously this Sunday you'll call the NFC Championship game. That's 50 million viewers or whatever it is. I, w- I know we're not in Arizona yet, but have you thought about just like how you want to a- approach this just in terms of um, how you want to think about calling the game, how you want to think about whatever the fanfare is around it? What's your sort of approach for calling your first Super Bowl? Well, I, I you know, it, it's... I honestly haven't thought about it too much yet because I've had big games, you know, the last, you know, every week. So it's like, I I haven't sat down and really um, just kind of dove into it. I I think the reality is because how I'm built is I'm going to do the game the same way I do every game. And I know it's not the same game. I'm not saying that I I get that it's different, but at the same time, we just did a game that had 45 million people watch it. So what's another 45. I, I just, that doesn't change how I'm going to call a game. I'm not going to think about how I'm going to call the first quarter, how I'm going to call the fourth quarter. I'm going to call the game the same way that I call every other game. Um, and I think if I change that, at least for me personally, then I'm an idiot. I I, I am not going to change my process, my the way I call the game, the way, uh, you know, Greg and I, I, I just... I'm not into that idea. So I think the things that I think will that, that I think will be very different are, are everything leading up to it. And look, I'd be lying if I said my heart won't be racing with excitement of the day of and certainly as kickoff approaches. It will. I mean, it does though for for every game though, Richard. Like I'm you know, I wake up and bounce off the walls. This week we had a late start and I'm like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I went for a little jog on the treadmill and I'm like, okay, what now? I got like three hours before we leave. It's like I'm I'll just keep eating. I'll do, you know, to walk around the hotel. We're good at that. We're good at that. We're good at eating. (laughs) We're good at eating. So I think it's like the lead up to it, the week of, I have no idea how that's all going to be. But I think my most comfortable place is going to be when the game kicks off. Um, And again, I know it's different. I I think the thing that I'll think about, you know, which I thought about last week and I will think about this week is the historical stuff. Like, you know, how to present things if this happens, how to... You know, that's, I think, the things that I will obviously prep for and think about. But in terms of thinking about like a certain call or what I'll do on a game winning field goal, I've always been just go with what comes out of my mouth. I don't know if that always works. I don't know if that's the best thing, but that's how I roll for 48 years and I'm not going to change it now. Can Jacksonville's defense come up with the play? Third and four, blitz coming. Prescott throws backwards and intercepted. Jenkins has another one. Racing down the sidelines. Rayshon Jenkins is going to win it. Greg, I want to ask you the same question. I also don't want to bullshit you. You know at a certain point in this podcast I'm going to ask about Tom Brady, etc. So, like, it's a little different for you in terms of the Super Bowl. Like, that's going to be a massive audience for you. Um, to me, it's a great showcase for what you can do. I think you guys have, I've, I've written this, so this is not kissing your ass here. I think you guys have had an excellent year, but like the Super Bowl is different just in terms of like sheer numbers. By the way, Kevin, you should say you, you want another 75 million, not another 50 million or so. I mean, you got well, your bosses, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, they want, under, they want 120, one, 115, not, not 100. Um, so, Greg, I wonder just for you again, I know also different than Kevin you played you played in the NFL you played in major games you understand like from that perspective like what it means and what's on the line so again I just want to ask you an open-ended question about sort of what's your thought process knowing that in a couple weeks you're going to be calling this game that's essentially the biggest communal experience that Americans have yeah I think it goes back to to one of your first questions was 
you know, what is your process? What is your routine? I, I'm a, even, you know, as a player, I was crazy about my routine, about my habits, about building that preparation and making every week's, every week's sequence of days feel the same. And I, and I always bought into that. And it's something that I, I still to this day truly believe in because I think when things get crazy, when things get hectic or things get out of whack, you always fall back on your training, right? You always fall back on your routine and what you know and the habits that you've built. And great habits are built from great preparation, great routine, and being consistent and diligent and and being able to stay with that, even when it could be easier to get off track or, hey, I don't have to watch, you know, study or prepare hard today, whether it's as a player or now, you know, what's one day, right? I'll get back to it tomorrow. And I was just always a big believer that each day feeds into the next. So as a player, that was always what, allowed me to stay on track and always kept me prepared. And whether we were preparing for, you know, the opening day of the season, or we were preparing for an NFC championship game or a Super Bowl or just a random one o'clock out of conference game in, you know, Jacksonville or whatever it was, it didn't feel different. And a lot of that is just how you go about the week. So I've taken a lot of parallels and a lot of lessons that I learned and sometimes lessons I learned the hard way as a player and really have found a lot of value in applying that now to this job and to the preparation that entails of going out there and trying to put forth a good product every single day. And there's really a lot of carryover. There's a lot of parallels between what we do now and as a player. And um, I think the biggest one is treating every game. You know, you hear every coach say, it, and it's a very coach talk cliche. Coach speak. It's very coach speak. <laughs> but but the, re- the reality is the second you start picking and choosing what's more important than another, I think you're in trouble. And that's as a player, as a coach, as a, you know, as a broadcaster, whatever it is, we don't, that's not how our brains operate, right? Our brains know when it kicks off and you got to go, either you know your shit or you don't. And I think it falls back to your preparation. So to answer your question, I, I don't think, my hope is that I don't change anything. I hope that when that ball, when I'm in the booth 10 minutes before kickoff and they give us the 10 minute warning before we go on camera, I hope I feel just as prepared, just as comfortable and just as clear-minded about what the possibilities of the game are. You know, so so similar to as a player, you prepared all week, but when that ball was kicked off, you really had no idea what was going to happen, right? Everything right. was about real-time decision-making and adjusting and figuring it out as you went. It's really the same thing for us. We're reacting to a live sporting event that we think we have an idea. We talk storylines. We talk, you know, I think San Francisco might do this on offense or I think Dallas. And But the reality is no one knows anything. We're just reacting to what we see. And you ha- and if you don't know your shit, you're going to be exposed. So I hope when that ball is kicked off, I feel no different than I did in week one. And I hope I feel no different than I did last week in the divisional round or, you know, whatever the game was. And um, again, there's going to be nerves. There's going to be excitement. As Kevin said, there's nothing like the Super Bowl. I think back to playing in it. It was unlike any game I've ever been a part of. But when the ball kicks off, if you're prepared, if you're confident, you're clear minded. Once the game starts, that's the easy part. Kevin, uh, I I knew I wanted to ask you this question, and particularly uh, after talking to Pam Oliver yesterday, I happened to just do a quick piece on her. Um, one, uh, she obviously is very fond of both of you. She said uh, Greg would uh, call her mom sometimes because she would always be telling Greg like not to stay out late and stuff, which I found uh, um, amusing. But again, said that when it was game time, Greg was he was ready. He may be a cut up before, but very serious when he was on the air. Um, but she mentioned that, you know, in, in saying a lot of nice things about you, Kevin, she mentioned that you were always the person that Fox would use when it came to auditions. They want, they used you a lot when people would come in 
and you know for the for the management to basically see could this former player could this former coach be an asset for us I've never asked you this and probably should have in the past but can you tell me about Greg's audition and like what you remember about that yeah, I sure can. Um, and I love Pam. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, happy to see what you wrote about her. I mean, she's, I, I have so many things that are she's, she's the, the best, best. Uh, close with her, but well, that's for another podcast. Yeah, she's the best. Um, yeah, I, I remember Greg's audition uh, vividly because it's the best one that I've ever done. Um, I, I said that when it, when it happened. So, you know, that that's not, I'm not just saying it now because we've been together and we've been together for two years together on the air. It's you know, and there was a lot of reasons for it. Yeah, I've, I've done a ton of those auditions over the years. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with geography that I happen to live in L.A. and I'm a play by play guy and a studio guy. So I could kind of bounce back and forth and hopefully make these guys comfortable when they come in, maybe joke around a little bit. I'm pretty loose usually. And so Greg came in and, you know, we obviously had we obviously had a history together. You know, it goes back way back. I used to call some of his high school football games. I knew his dad very, very well when he was a kid. Um, you know, and then we touched base a little bit when he was playing, when I would do some games as radio and I saw him on the field and we would, you know, you know, just catch up like that. Um, nothing crazy. Um, we lived in two different parts of the country at that time, but you know, and then he, he's coming in for an audition and I'm like, Oh my God, how great is this? The fact that, you know, so, you know, we hooked up and connected and, and then we go in and, and, you know, so we, we talked and, get said to do it. And I was just like blown away by how naturally seemed and doing those auditions. It's really hard, Richard. Like it's, and I'm not saying it's hard for me. I mean, it's hard for the people because, you know, we're doing a game that's already happened off a television monitor in a sterile room. It's kind of funny. Some games are right. done like that now in television after the pandemic, but that's, you know, a whole nother story, but, 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 you know, like <laughs> you're, right. you're, it's, it's really hard like to have energy you know, and, and big part of doing, I think, especially football is you're seeing the whole field. You're watching what you want. Now, obviously, we have a million monitors in front of us. We're watching that. But you also can look up and see this and see who's coming on the field. And this you can't. You're looking right ahead of the screen. Zero energy in the room. So you have to create your own energy. Um, and it's difficult. It's really, really hard. And to be able to stand out in that atmosphere. And I just thought Greg's energy i thought some of the things that he brought to the table and things that he said i thought like just the easygoing volley that you know he and i had i was i was really blown away um you know and i said it when we got done and you know i've said it for years and that's no disrespect to anyone else i've auditioned a lot of people who who were excellent um and a lot of them are either working for us or somebody else right now but he just had it first time he did it he had it kevin just one follow-up on that um Obviously, it's not your hiring decision, but do do your bosses like after something like that? Do they go to you and say, "What do you think? Uh, is this somebody we should hire?" Like, how much are you involved in the like post mortem, like an like uh, you know process? Yeah, I, I don't know about hiring process, but we very frequently just had a little bit of a jam session. Like, if I went in and auditioned a couple people, like you know, myself and, you know, my boss's producer who did them, you know, we would just get there and just kind of air our feelings about it and like what they did, what they did well, right. maybe what would be what they could do well going forward, but, you know, usually pretty darn positive. Um, but yeah, we would kind of have that. And then that would be the end of it for me. I get in my car and go home. So after that, I, you know, I did not drop Greg's contract prior to what some may believe. <laughs> I wish he did. I wish he did. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, well, well, we got we have lawyers and uh, and agents for that. All right, Greg. Uh, 
so now we come to the Tom Brady portion of this podcast. Um, one of the things, and Kevin, feel free to weigh in because you actually. I feel like this is. I feel like this is the reason you really want on a song. So let's drive. Let's dive into it. Absolutely not. No, you've. I mean, you got. You've talked. I'm just kidding. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Chicago radio show. At this point, it's. I couldn't. Yeah, it's old news. Couldn't care less. It's all good. Shoot. I know. Kevin, tell me who the bad uh, auditions were. Maybe, uh, maybe another podcast. Right. You guys have a lot of you guys have yeah, a no, lot of podcasts save, save to catch that. up on. There's a lot of topics you guys I have know. to cover. Like separate ones, like <laughs> all down the line. You're gonna have a whole season. You're gonna have a whole yeah, season like, of Burkhart pods. Yeah, Kevin. I know, Kevin. Just like yeah, Pam, save yeah. that for the memoir. You know, make yeah. make make that count. Um, all right. So, Greg, one of the things that I've appreciated from you, and it, you know, whether this is intentional, strategic, or just you, is that you have used humor to deflect this situation, which to me is the only thing you can do because in any other way, you know, we live in like a very stupid internet world where everybody will parse everything that you say. So the way I, re- I appreciate like when you will sort of joke and say, you know, Hey, I saw Tom in like our production meeting and I said, you know, this TV gig really sucks, man. You really should play for a couple more years. I mean, that's funny to me. Or, um, or if, you know, you will say something in an interview like, man, Brady's, he's phenomenal. This guy looks like he could play for another 15 years or so. Um, how much like, I don't want to say it's intentional because then it makes you look like you're, you're really like strategic or something, but like, has humor been a pretty good way to address this stuff? Cause it seems like to me, it's, yeah, I wouldn't say any of it's intentional. I, I think I've, I've come to grips a long time ago and I know what I signed up for. Right. I used to say this as a player, players would get all bent out of shape. You know, they tried to sign somebody and they're fighting for your contract and they want to replace you. Like, yeah. And if you don't like it, don't play professional football. Like I never, I want, I never wanted anybody's sympathy. I never wanted anybody to feel bad for me. I never wanted anyone to pity me. Like we all know what we signed up for. We're all big boys. We all, you know, we're all operating right now in highly competitive environments and there's only a handful of seats and there's a lot of people who want them. And if you're afraid to compete and if you're afraid to go out there and, and put yourself and make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there for the whole world to critique and analyze and break. And if you're, if you have thin skin, you're not going to last very long in this profession. You're not going to last very long as a player and you're sure as hell not going to last very long in a studio or in a booth. If you want to be on TV for three hours every Sunday, because as you all know, it could be a weird, it could be a crazy world out there with people's feedback. So in regards to Tom, from the very beginning, I, I understand the landscape. It, again, it's not a matter of, of of liking it. It's not a matter of like, oh man, I'm so happy that for Tom, he's going to do great. Like, but it's also a matter of just being realistic and understanding that when Tom Brady agrees to potentially be your number one analyst and and sit in the booth and and all he brings and his reputation and and whatnot, like, I get it. Like, what to to expect someone to not go that route seems pretty delusional. And and I always try to be very honest with myself. I always feel I need to be honest with my situations because if not, you're really setting yourself up for disappointment. So I know what I signed up for. I know this year was going to be a weird year because I was going to answer this question every single time. And I've said this to Kevin. I've said this when I first started my career. My only option right now to make a career out of this is to be good. That's it. I didn't play quarterback. I didn't play for the Dallas Cowboys. I didn't, I don't have a gold jacket on. I didn't play in a, I didn't play in New York city. I right. I, I, the only way I can do this is if I'm good and whether that's good enough in the long run, I don't know, but that's all I can control. All I can control is going out there and having fun and giving a fun broadcast and giving people a broadcast that 
Kevin and I have been able to do. And in regards to Tom, if, if he comes and he takes it, I get it. Like, I don't ask anyone to feel bad for me. I don't, I'm not going to feel bad for myself. Will I be disappointed? Would I rather sit next to Kevin for the next 20 years? Of course. I'm not going to sit here and, and sound stupid and be like, you know, just doing this for one year was, was plenty. Like, no, screw that. Like, I'd like to do this for 20 years. I'd like to call 10 Super Bowls. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I don't control it. But the second I spend all of my energy worrying about what Tom does and worrying about my, my you know, job security and who's going to be in my seat and who people think, like, then I'm not going to be very effective. And um, I've just, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it, it, the situation is what it is, and I've come to grips with it. And I'm going to make it hard as hell on them to try to replace me. I don't know how else to do it. That's how I've lived my whole life. Yeah, that's, I, I appreciate that. That's a very honest answer. Kevin, I have one for you, but I just want to follow up quickly for Greg. I understand the likelihood contractually is that this cannot happen. But philosophically, if I said, Greg, would you like to be in a three-person booth with Tom and Kevin, what would your response be? Again, is the option, Greg, you don't get to be on the number one booth or you have to be in a three-man? Of course I would pick that. Right. I mean, I, I would, of course, because if the alternative was you're gone, <laughs> be, I mean, like, <laughs> right. I don't think that'll be the no, alternative. But, you know, yeah, or, 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 you know move down to move down to a different right, crew. Right. I mean, listen, anyone who gets into any career that has any sort of aspirations is to be the best is that you want to call the biggest games. You want to call playoff games. You want to call games with 45 million people and Super Bowls. And that's just how I've always lived my life. And it doesn't mean you're always going to attain that. It doesn't mean you're always going to reach those levels, but I didn't get into TV. I didn't decide to do this as kind of a second career to just be content with whatever game they threw me. And okay, this is so cool. I get to tell people that was never my goal. Like I didn't know it was going to happen in year two, but I always thought like, no, I'm going to see how good I can get. And if I'm good enough, great. And if I'm not fine. So yeah, I mean, if the alternative was, Hey, Greg, we got to move you off to a crew and Tom's going to do this for the next 10 years. I'd be stupid. It, my, I would let my ego get in the way of saying, no, it's either me and Burkhart or I'm gone. And they'll be like, okay, don't let the door hit you in the ass. Right. Like I, I'm right. not going to yeah. be naive and, and, and make stupid decisions because my ego is hurt. That's not in my best interest. That's not in anybody's best interest. Yeah. Objectively, I could say, I mean, I think there's, I, I cannot, I would, it seems like a perfect answer to sort of handle this. And again, I, um, you are in a situation I've never seen before, at least in all my years of writing about this stuff. So kudos to you for the honesty, Kevin. I just have one quick question here. Like, you know, you have to be Switzerland here in, in a, in a matter of speaking, like, you know, you, you are obviously friends with Greg. You love working with him. This is very clear. I think you guys have formed like ter tremendous chemistry at the same time. Like I'm sure you've texted Tom and I'm sure you want to make it, uh, make Tom feel that like, if this does happen, he's welcome in the booth. So how, how have you navigated this? Because once again, there's never been an NFL play-by-play -play person who's had to necessarily deal with the situation. Yeah. Either. I mean, I, I think it's been pretty simple, uh, you know, for me actually. Um, yeah. I mean, Greg's, Greg's my dude. I've known him for a long time. We get along really, really well. Uh, you know, I love the guy. So, but in, in, in a, in a business sense, when this all happened, obviously, uh, you know, uh, texted with Tom and, and that was it. That was the last time, you know, I texted with him because quite honestly, I, I got I got enough to do right now. Like, you know, I, I can't be thinking about, you know, Tom Brady when I, I, the next two games are the most important of my personal career. You know what I mean? I mean, and I know that's coach speak, but truthfully, 
what I said when Greg and I had a conversation when this all happened, and and to his point, not like we thought we'd be doing the Super Bowl last year, right? Like who knew this was all going to go down in right. the offseason? Yeah. You know, we were together, had a, exactly had a really fun first year. We were just happy as you know, happy as a pig, and you know what? And then all of a sudden, this all goes down, and and so when it happened, when they moved us with all this uncertainty, and then. Um, you know, after the Tom stuff broke, you know, Greg and I, you know, we talk all the time. We just had a talk and I, you know, I just said, Hey, here's one thing I know we can control. We can go out this year and kick ass and have a great time. And I know we're doing the Super Bowl this year and let, let's just see where it goes. Like, that's it. And like, for me, it's been the same thing. Like if I, I, I can't be here, like, you know, uh, you know, playing the middleman and be like, Oh, when you come in, Tom, or it's just not in my best interest. And quite honestly, that's his decision. So, um, you know, I've obviously seen Tom a lot uh, during games. We've had Tampa a bunch this year. He's been great with us. But, you know, the last communication I had with him about broadcasting was in whenever that was in, in the summer. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'm going to get you guys out of here in five, uh, five minutes. Um, and I appreciate your time. I know today is tight for you. So, Kevin, I want to ask you this because I feel like um, – <laughs> I feel like you have good perspective on this, given how long you've worked in the business. You know that um, there are sometimes, like in Greg's position, like the NFL analyst, like um, may get good press, may get bad press. Sometimes it could be really, really bad, especially if like early games are not good, like the snowball and things start to avalanche, and like it, it becomes social media fodder and everything else executives can say they don't read the stuff they're lying like they absolutely do you can be impacted by like what the quote-unquote people like me are writing or what twitter is saying but in greg's case this year what is very clear in terms of the sentiment is that people really have appreciated his work and he's been praised that does not always happen and i could also tell you a lot of times people who are like sort of flavor of the month like lose flavor of the month this happens in all of broadcasting sometimes you you know, you, you grow, you're born a hero, right? Stay long enough to be the villain or whatever that expression is. So I wonder just from your perspective, like you've seen Greg get a lot of really nice, you know, words said about him this year. And I think deservedly so. But I, what's your perspective on it? Because you, you've been in business long enough to know that does not always happen. Uh, you're right. And you can't control it. And I think it's like you take the, you know, you take the pats on the back when you can get them. Right. I mean, because they don't they don't happen all the time. And a lot of time in today's world, everything's so negative and people look at, you know, it's such an easy right. way out to criticize like no matter on everything. Honestly, my most excited thing coming out of that game Sunday was seeing all the good praise that, he, that Greg got because he fucking deserves it. I mean, he he's awesome. Um, and I think like he's been awesome from the start. It's just that now that we're doing playoff games together, it's more evident. And we're the only, you know, playoff games, obviously it's hundred percent. Everybody's watching, you're doing monster numbers. So I, I think it's a great thing because it's like you, people look and realize, wow, for me, I could tell you this. I mean, despite my, you know, you know, my relationship with him personally, he makes my job easier because he's so good with the key situations, clock management with rules and stuff like that. So of course I take pride in knowing yeah. that stuff too. I think we handled it well this week and hopefully we'll continue to do that. But like knowing how good he is in those spots, I don't have to just worry about anything extra. I'm doing my role and I know he's, he's, just, he's self-sufficient. He's got it. Um, you know, and as a play-by-play -play guy to, to know that your guy has that, like you don't have to, I mean, of course, like we're working this together, but it's just, he's so good. I'm just glad to see people are finally starting to realize what I've known for a long time.
Uh, Greg or Kevin, I guess I'll go to Greg. Have you guys seen or had the Bengals Chiefs this year? Or will that we've be had the Chiefs guys? once? We had the Chiefs um, against the 40, 49ers. Twice. Oh, twice. 49ers and the and the Rams the, after okay. Christmas, right? Yeah. 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 All right. And obviously, multiple times, Eagles, Niners, I would just guess yeah. off the yeah. top of my head. So can I, Richard, can I just jump in real okay. quick off the back of what Go Kevin ahead. just said? Yeah, please. And again, this I don't want this yeah. to get into like where we just pat each other on the back the whole time. But and, but oh. this is no, I, this fine. needs to be said. No. Whatever people write, they write. I get it. I, I have always had the saying like you're never too old for an attaboy. So like anyone who pretends like they don't right. like positive feedback is full of shit. But having said all that, I when I read any, you know, people send me articles or clips like people that say they don't aren't aware of it or lying to themselves. People know what's being said, good and bad in today's world. Like I take great pride that every time people say something good about our broadcast or like they're saying something good about like our broadcast team. And like the reason I say that is because working with Kevin and I've said this to on every interview going back to last year, there is no easier human being to share a story a three-hour broadcast who's in there and the entire time they're in their mind, they're thinking, not how do I make myself sound better? How do I make my partner and give him space and give him the runway and lead him into where I know he wants to go and where he's good at talking about than Kevin? And it was, whether it was me or it was John Lynch or it was Moose or Charles Davis, everyone who's worked with Kevin has had that exact same feeling. So like anytime there's success, there's always context to why. Like the environment, not only during the broadcast, but the leak, the week leading up where like there's no ego from Kevin. This, there's no like, hey, this is my broadcast. I'll take it. Like the fact that there's none of that and the broadcast is done in a way where he's trying to serve whoever the person's next to him, which in this case happens to be me. But there was other guys before me who also had a lot of success. Like that's not by accident. And then the last thing I want to say to your question about success, like I've always tried to live by the phrase like the greatest threat to future success is current success, right? Like the second you think you have it, you're Mm. done. Like that's, that's something I think everyone, hopefully, like if you want to have sustained excellence at anything in your life, like if you, if you want to sit around and just think, all right, I've made it, you're done. And whether that's on the field, off the field, whatever walks of life. So I just wanted to add those two follow-ups to Kevin's answer. Well, let me, let me, say, let me say real quick. Yeah, I want to add one more thing. Ahead, first of all, thanks, Greg. I mean, yeah. that's really kind. And, and we feel that way about our whole team. I mean, we're like, you know, you mentioned Z and Roos and those guys that everyone carries us, but I, I will just on that. I got great advice a long time ago. Um, and, you know, it was, it was Gary Cohen, of course, voice of the Mets. He's going to be in the Mets hall of fame this year. Who's, who's a really good friend. And, you know, we became really close when we were working together, you know, um, sat together on airplane rides, cab rides, stadiums, you name it. And obviously I respected the hell out of him, learned a lot from him. But there was one point like, I don't know, we've been working together for years. And I just said to him, hey, let me ask you a question. Why? And I, I never once like ever, same thing with this job. I never once thought like, oh, when am I calling the Super Bowl? Like I was totally happy doing what I'm doing. This just happened to be here. And now I'm in a, a, a fortunate spot. I never thought like, oh my gosh, when's Gary going to retire so I could be the Mets guy. But I asked him, I said, right. Pe- you know, I don't think that you don't think that, but people think that I'm a younger guy, you know? And like, why do you, why are you not threatened by me? All you do is help me. All you do is you know, give me advice, listen to my stuff, you know, constructive criticism, you know, all we, all you do is help me. Not everybody's that way. 
you know, when you're a newer guy coming in, I said, why are you that way to me? He said, because I a think you work your tail off and I think you're great. I am confident in who I am and, you know, know that I bring it to the table and do the best that I can. And the reality is if someone's going to make a decision to remove me or put me somewhere else, it's out of my control. And it was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in just terms of work hard, do you, be kind to people, and the other stuff, can't control it. Yeah, Gary Cohen, having uh, grown up in New York, uh, is uh, very fortunate to watch the Mets. This is basically getting a national guy uh, locally every day. Uh, yeah. I know Mets fans uh, uh, are appreciative of that. The one thing I would say, Greg, uh, and then I'll finish up one last one for you, about Kevin. I mean, Kevin, you're, it's weird to sort of say this to Greg when you're sort of listening my in front of you, but I'll say it. I've always thought, Greg, that uh, one of the reasons, you know, Kevin is somebody who really like, you know, people in this business do talk uh, about like, how they think people are, et cetera. I've never heard one bad word about Kevin Burke. It's just like, that's just the reality of it. And I've always thought one of the reasons for it is because he had success later than a lot of people and actually had to work in non-broadcasting jobs, like selling used cars and stuff. And he appreciated like the opportunities that came because he knew like what it, the other path could have been. So I don't know, Greg, if you buy that, but that was always my thought on Kevin is that like, you know, he um, and there's nothing wrong with selling used cars. But my point is, like, he 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 knew that, like, had a couple breaks didn't happen, it would have been a different life. And he's appreciative of, like, obviously this lottery ticket job now that he has. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that. I, I, I don't always know the context of why people have their personalities or why certain people have greater humility and 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 lack ego more than others. Right. Um, I've been around a lot of people that were born into great privilege and born into great situations who have incredible humility. And then we've all seen, of course, the opposite. So I think everyone's journey and everyone's personality is is different, both innately and also just as a product of their circumstances. But yeah, I think I, I've said this also on a couple on the couple of the times we've we've spoken about it. Like I've learned a great deal of appreciation for people like Kevin and Aaron and Tom and you know, all the people that I've worked with, Roos and, and Z, just like people that have been lifers chasing this dream. I, I, I sometimes I almost feel right. like guilty, right? Like I started this two years ago and here we are, like we're all kind of, at least in this moment in time, you don't know how long it's going to last, but in this moment in time, we're all kind of on the same level. And I, and I, and I listen to their stories of, of Kevin's journey. Of course, I know that really well of his journey to this point and listening to Aaron talk about her first job out of school and the, the, the gigs that she took and the sports that she covered and Tom, and you can go across the board, across the entire landscape. And here I am, I'm right. people are like, Oh, what's your sports media journey? I'm like, I don't know. I retired two years ago and started calling game. You know what I mean? Like I almost <laughs> feel guilty, but the point right. of me saying that is like, you learn to have a great deal of respect for just the people who have made this their life and made this their career. Like you root for those people. And along the lines, the people that truly appreciate yeah, no, it and truly and treat people the right way and are willing to to lift up other people as they climb the ladder is not the norm. It's not the norm in society. It's not the norm in every industry. And the fact that I'm surrounded by Kevin and the entire crew of people who are all like-minded in that regard um, is not lost on me. We are not doing manual labor, right? I mean, yeah, we are not. fortunate to do something that's pretty awesome. No. Doesn't mean we don't work hard, but I mean, I don't know how you don't appreciate this. I mean, we're you know, we're no going to go to football games. It's the, let's, let's just be real world for a second yeah. and have a couple old fashions on Saturday night and yeah. shoot the yeah. shit. And I mean, it's yeah. not a bad deal. Is we're good at that. And that's, uh, we are good at that. Expense that. We are good at that. We are good at that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Rinaldi actually was a high school teacher actually before all this started, uh, before the piano music started yeah, and everything exactly. else. Uh, all right, last one for you, Greg, and then I'm going to get you out of here on this, just because this is a really interesting topic to me. I've always thought that like there is obviously a massive advantage for someone who's just coming off the field to be an analyst. You've played against coordinators, you played against coaches, you played against the players on the field. Can you give my listeners a sense, though, from your perspective of like when that, like how long will that be an asset? And then after that, it really becomes like preparation and study and film. Like the reality is, I know the league turns over, but you, you've probably still, there's probably 40% of the NFL that played when you played. So how, from your perspective, like how long, how long is that an asset because you've actually lived it as opposed to studied it on film? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because I think it's a, it's something that gets brought up a lot. And Although I do think there may be some legitimacy and credibility to it, I don't necessarily buy that it's that big of a factor. I would argue that I have a better sense of the NFL trends. And I'm talking like NFL, not in the like global sense of how right. the league operates behind the scenes, but like what we see on a Sunday afternoon from, you know, offensive strategy and defensive philosophy and what coaches and mindset and the use of analytics and just the all the intricacies that make up an NFL game of 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 you know preparation each week and then unfold on a Sunday afternoon. I would argue that I have a better understanding of it across the board, both sides of the, both sides of the ball, head coach, quarterback, communicate. I feel better now than I did when I first stepped off the field. Like I would argue I've gotten a better sense of understanding football because I'm not just looking at it like I was as a player, which was through my lens of, okay, here's my job, right? I'd spend the entire week if I'm playing the Dallas Cowboys, studying the Dallas Cowboys safeties, their defensive ends, their tips, how they align in certain coverages. Do they tip off it with their stance inside leverage outside? How am I going to win on this route? What's their third down coverage? What's their best fronts, right? I'm looking at it through the lens. I didn't really need to study it. Like I was the left tackle because I wasn't going to play left tackle or the, you know, or whoever the position was now, as I prepare for, to call this game at various points of the game, I'm asked to speak almost for the left tackle, the nose guard, the middle linebacker, the quarterback. Everyone wants the broadcaster to talk about the quarterback. Everybody wants the broadcaster to talk about why the ball starts here and goes there. To me, that's the easiest part of the game. Everybody watching it can see it. So I've found myself now spending more time talking with defensive coaches, talking to some of my former teammates on the defensive side of the ball, picking their brain meeting with different guys about clock management strategies and timeouts, you know, just leaning on some of my resources throughout the game to just like broaden my understanding of what the other side was seeing for 15 years as they tried to prepare for me or, you know, or whatever the case may be. So I think anyone that's willing to continue to work at it, anyone who has an inherent just curiosity about the game and a love of the game, which I always have had, I, I think the longer I get out of the game, the less I'll see the game like a tight end and more I'll see the game holistically across the board. And then when it's time for me to talk from the quarterback's perspective, I can do it. When it's time for me to talk about the middle linebacker and what he's thinking on a particular play, great. Defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, whatever the case may be, like that's ultimately my job throughout the course of the game. I, I'm not just going to speak just from my one singular perspective because at some point you run out of things to say. So I don't necessarily buy that. That's a huge factor. I think it might be part of it. I don't think it's completely unfair, but um, I think the guys who work at it, no matter how far away you get from your playing days, if you work at it and you study it and you ask the right questions and you don't think you have all the answers and you don't pretend 
that you're the end all be all of football knowledge and you realize there's a lot of really smart people out there. It's just about finding them and asking them and then using that information on the broadcast. I mean, it's like anything in life. There's info out there. You just have to be, you just have to have enough humility to say, okay, I don't know this area. I got to go study it because one day when that comes up, I'm going to nail it. And that's been my approach for these last couple of years. And I see that continuing to be my approach as this goes on. But you do love when tight ends do well. Let's oh, come listen. on. I mean, come listen. On. Uh, I mean, listen, if you want to catch a touchdown and you're a tight end, you want me calling your game. That's <laughs> fact. That's a fact. I couldn't even celebrate Dalton Schultz touchdown catch last week. Cause like we ignored the touchdown understandably. So, cause we had the most anticipated first quarter field, uh, extra point attempt the in point NFL history. history. So, right. Like they're like, all right, he scored, move on. And I'm like, what do you mean? I want to talk about Dalton Schultz touchdown. It was great, but they're like, no, we need to talk about the kicker. I was like, all right, whatever. We'll come back to it. <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate, I do love the tight end. Don't get me wrong. But I, I mean, that's I think the beauty of our and again, this is I'm biased. I think the beauty of our our broadcast, Kevin and I, is I think some of the most interesting things that we dive into have nothing to do with the guy with the ball. Right. And I think if I'm a viewer, there's 22 guys out there. There's one ball. I think it's easy to talk about the ball. I think it's hard and you really got to be nuanced and understand your shit to talk about the other 21 players. To me, I feel like Kevin and I have like identified like that's our strong suit. Let's make sure we don't overdo it, but let's make sure we weave that in throughout the course of the game and give people maybe a little bit greater context of what's exactly going on on the field. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've enjoyed this and I, and I appreciate the insight. Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson obviously are Fox's top NFL team. They'll be joined by Aaron Andrews and Tom Rinaldi for this Sunday's Niners-Eagles NFC Championship game. And then obviously they have the Super Bowl on February 12th. Kevin, Greg, uh, thanks for the time. I know these are busy times for you. I really I really enjoyed it. Wish you luck, and, uh, and thanks for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. You got it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Enjoy Richard. It, Richard. Thanks. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Gave me more time than, uh, than I expected, so appreciate uh, that very much. Previous podcasts, we want to head back to the archives. Last one, Lindsey Jones of The Ringer, Nikki Jabala of The Washington Post on covering the NFL's biggest game. Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle remembers her friend Gwen Knapp. We uh, did one on the really great Apple TV documentary, Super League, The War for Football. Director Jeff Zimbalist was on this podcast. Al Michaels on the podcast January 11th. Did a media roundtable on ESPN's coverage of uh, DeMar Hamlin. Had some Canadian prominent broadcasters, Tara Sloan and Stephen Brunt, and uh, head to the archives page. You will hopefully find something that uh, you'll enjoy. Uh, this podcast always appreciates uh, great reviews, five-star reviews on uh, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, podcast. Thank you for the long-time support. Much appreciated. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti, of course, for all his hard work. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.